Now is the chance to use reliable energy to grow your money with the Dominion Energy Reliability Investment. Our new investment product offers competitive returns, no maintenance fees, and flexible online access to your money. Make the reliable investment in reliable energy. The Dominion Energy Reliability Investment. To find out more, go online to reliabilityinvestment.com. That's reliabilityinvestment.com. Hello and welcome to the TIFO Football Podcast. I am Joe Devine and today I'm joined by Seb Stafford-Bloor. Hello, Joe. Hello, how are you? I'm very well, thank you. Oh, good. Thanks for coming. No problem. Uh, today we're talking about UEFA. That's very exciting, isn't it? It is. Yeah. It is indeed. Um, we're talking about UEFA because there are two big European finals upcoming. Um, and at the start, I would like to let listeners know that for the last sort of 10 minutes of this podcast, we might discuss a bit of the football, uh, but we're going to leave that until the end because some of you might be listening to this after the games have taken place. Most of the rest of the information will still be um, in, of interest to you and isn't time sensitive in the same way. So if you want to stick around to the football bit at the end, please do. If not, I will alert you as to when we are discussing things that have happened in the past and you can depart uh, henceforth. Um, but we're talking about UEFA today because, as I said, there are two big European finals coming up um, and there are, I suppose, two different kinds of controversy relating to not necessarily the locations, but in a way, the locations of both of them. The UEFA Champions League uh, is in Madrid and there are there is some controversy over the cost of uh, travel, particularly getting there. So we're going to talk about that. The other one, uh, the Europa League final, is in Baku in Azerbaijan. And um, there are potentially some more problems there that we're going to discuss as well. Um, so we thought it'd be useful, Seb, if you were, if you'd be able to uh, enlighten me and us as to the process of choosing a location for a final of a big European tournament, because it's the, obviously the location, uh, the, the choice is made some years in advance of the final itself. Is that accurate? Yeah, I think people should think of it as uh, most people will be familiar with the the World Cup bidding process. It's very very similar. So. Although, albeit on a on a shorter timescale. So, um, back in two thousand seventeen, um, uh, cities were invited to tender for the opportunity to host the various European finals. So they, UEFA, tend to gather these on mass. So they don't say, right, well, you know, host the Europa League final, host the Champions League final, host the Super Cup final. That's the other. That's the third one in the mix. Um, cities are invited to to put together a dossier. Um, Actually, what we might do is, is we might put um, one of the, um, the reports as a link on the, uh, on the YouTube channel so people can see what we're talking about. We'll link that in the description of the podcast. Yeah, I, I think so. I think that'd be helpful so that, you know, they can get a real idea of the, um, the, the depth of these. Um, and cities make a presentation. I mean, it's not quite as grand as I people remember Morgan Freeman reading, uh, reading the, the, the American bid out in, uh, I think, 2010 or something when he missed a page and had to stop and... Not quite like that, but it's sort of it's thorough. So the the idea is to 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 present a um, a proposal, you know, in in terms of accommodation, training facilities, hospitality, uh, the ability to house sponsors, travel, all the things that you can imagine, which go into a um, into a uh, into into hosting one of those kind of occasions, one of those events, um, and then from that point on, um, UEFA's executive committee. Um, not quite marked, but evaluate the proposal. They they have sort of criteria which have to be met in terms of. So we're get to, going to get to this. Um, the amount of fans that are coming in, um, travel logistics, how people you know how people can be um, accommodated. They have this thing about how um, 
they need a certain amount of people, a certain amount of hotel spaces and, and uh, living areas within 60 kilometers of the grounds. Basically, yeah, beds. Um, and as we're going to get on to, that is, you know, there are some fairly loose interpretations of what that consists of. Mm. I mean, we, 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 with Baku, it seems to be stretching to campsites and, and uh, university dormitories too. Right. Um, well, let's take it back a step. Yeah. Because one of the reasons that this is uh, in the news at the moment is because Arsenal sent a letter to UEFA about the situation in Baku. They will be yeah. going to play Chelsea in the Europa League final. And uh, Arsenal made it clear to UEFA that they were unhappy with the circumstances. Now, Baku is the is the modern day home of Karabakh, who have appeared in the Europa League uh, in and the Champions cup League as well and Champions yeah. League tournament in recent years. Um, Azerbaijan is a wealthy country. Baku appears to be a beautiful city. What's the problem? Why did Arsenal uh, complain to UEFA about this? Okay, so the genesis of the controversy is that um, the stadium in Baku houses uh, has a capacity of sixty five thousand, um, and UEFA have made. Uh, six and a half thousand tickets available to Arsenal and Chelsea, which each, each, um, which is under a fifth of the capacity. Clearly, um, at the time that we we're recording this, Chelsea are yet to sell out their uh, the allocation. Um, Arsenal, um, Arsenal wrote to UEFA after they reached the final to say that obviously to complain about this, but also there are a set of other issues which have arisen. Um, getting to Baku physically is very, very difficult. Um, I spoke to a few journalists about a month ago who, knowing that they would be covering the event, booked their tickets in advance. And even then, uh, there are, I think there's two stops. I think some people have to go through Odessa in Ukraine. Um, there are long layovers, there are tremendous costs involved. And Arsenal had a very broad concern about all of this um, and wanted to see if UEFA would, would participate in trying to bring some of those costs down to help people with the travel logistics. Um, and UEFA succeeded only really in inflaming the situation by sending a very sort of uh, saccharine letter <laughs> in the response in which they said, well, you know, we can't possibly be expected to foresee mm. very large well, European let's read, clubs let's qualifying. Something. Yeah, absolutely. The, in yeah. the bit you're referring to there, um, UEFA state, it goes without saying that an all-English final played by two London teams was not a very predictable event at the time of the appointment which I find to be a funny sentence anyway, uh, because I think partly the, the fact that uh, the teams are from London in England well, makes, no, it makes no difference. Really well, let's, Joe, Joe, let's, let's broaden that. Like, forget the English aspect of it. So you've got a Europa League tournament and you have a fair idea, give or take a few sides, um, of who's going to be competing. Mm -hmm. Now, I had a look, on, on the train up here today, I had a look at sort of how one might get to uh, Baku from not just England, but from France, from Germany. Italy is a little bit easier, but Spain. So if you think about those countries and you think about the teams that are typically going to qualify as second tier continental sides, you've got a fair idea of, of who's going to be competing. And you, you know from that. It's not unpredictable. It's not unpredictable. Yes, you don't know the exact identity. Two years out, of course, you can't predict that it's going to be an all English final. But I found that to be kind of incidental. Mm -hmm. I mean, no, no one saw Arsenal or Chelsea in the Europa League final. But at the same time, Sevilla have competed many times in the Europa League final. Would it have been so outlandish to see a side like Ajax? No, probably not. Well, in three of the last six Europa League finals, English teams have been present. Sevilla have been present in three of them. Ajax were present in 2017. Um, Pro and Benfica and Marseille are the other three. Atletico Madrid have been in a couple yeah. too. And, so it's, uh, it's, it is very predictable, which I think is the interesting thing about that statement. 
Uh, it goes without saying that an all English final played by two London teams was not a very predictable event at the. Uh, it's quite tournament. a predictable outcome. Yeah, it's a. <laughs> it really is. Forget you, you know you don't even need to make it two English teams. Just say that if there is one English side qualifying for that final, that is going to be a very difficult set of trials. And across the last six years, it's a fifty percent chance that you're going to get an English team in the final. So the saying that it's not very predictable is bizarre. There's some other funny things from uh, the statement as well. Um, there's a whole paragraph on how for UEFA fans are priority which is interesting. Um, and also the bit at the end, I, uh, I trust your understanding as men of sport and representatives of a club with a long and glorious tradition. I think, I think in retrospect, that's the bit I take issue with most. Very strange. Because it's a, um, a very sly attempt to kind of create this binary situation between UEFA's view of how the final should be held mm. and the bad way of doing it's things. Stay in your lane is what it is. It and is your lane is supposed bit. to be honourable. And if you're, if you're not doing this right now, just to let you know. Well, even in non-sporting terms, you're saying basically if you're against us, then you are, you are against the game. Yeah. Which I strongly object to. Yeah. I think that's a, uh, Arsenal's original letter was not, um, not necessarily, it was forceful, I guess, in a way it was urgent, but I don't think um, any of the issues raised by Arsenal were unreasonable. Well, they deserved a better response than that. Yeah, I agree. And they, they, they summarise it just before the final paragraph where they talk about being men of sport. Uh, they say that's why UEFA would consider it utterly unfair to exclude certain venues just based on their decentralised geographical position, which I'm fairly certain wasn't the entirety of what Arsenal were saying. They failed to acknowledge the other things that are... That Quite deliberately. Problems of the, yeah. Quite deliberately, because there are no answers for those other concerns. And there I'm are... pretty sure no one is saying... Uh, the final shouldn't be in Azerbaijan because it's really far away. They're saying because none of us are allowed to attend. There are all these other problems of which I think we can, you know, talk talk more about now. The beds being one of them. Well, I, I so um, I've read through most of the um, uh, the assessment reports. Uh, forgive me, I'm not going to read all of it because it's pretty dense and not the most entertaining read. But um, we'll put it on the um, on the YouTube channel and people can read it for themselves. This accommodation thing is. Those concerns have existed for two years. Those, those concerns existed at the point where uh, Baku was awarded this final. Um, and there's a line in it where it talks about there aren't sufficient, um, there isn't sufficient accommodation within the 60 mile radius. So therefore we must build a contingency of campsites. And it, it goes no further. It's just a kind of, yeah, well, we'll put people in campsites. There seems to be, what troubles me is there seems to be no due diligence over, right, well, how many campsites are there? What is your estimation for people's per camps, people per campsite? This is a really, really big European football event in a part of the world which is historically sensitive and a little bit volatile. The lack of care is a bit strange. The sort of the detail that you expect to find in something like that just isn't there. It's it's very vague. Well, we also say, you know, that the, the lack of due diligence, one could argue that the due diligence has been done. And then is ignored. Yeah. And then that, that, you know, as you said, many of these issues appeared throughout that process, yeah. but then somehow the vote was taken over the line anyway. Well, absolutely. And you sort of, you, you spoke about the bit in the, in the UEFA's response to Arsenal where they talked about, well, um, it just, it couldn't have been foreseen that two of these clubs would be in the final. It's irrelevant. Yeah. These issues would have arisen whoever was in the final. Right. Unless it was, unless Carabag had made it themselves. Yeah. Where, okay, that's a little bit different. Um, or a team from the Ukraine, these are, you know, go and price that up at a bookmaker's. I mean, it's not, you know, so these problems are always going to exist. Um, and they were going to exist whether um, this was being contested by English teams, German teams, French teams, Spanish teams, 
uh, maybe slightly less Italian teams. But the point is that teams that win this competition are very big and are very well supported. And no matter the outcome of the tournament itself, there was always going to be a lot of people that weren't able to go to it because so much of the stadium is reserved for, for sponsors and that terrible phrase, friends of football, whatever that means. And so what we're saying is about 13,000 of the 65,000 seats are going to fans of the two teams. Yeah, well, if that, because I don't think um, the cost of actually making the trip is so prohibitive that I don't think... Um, what is so- the cost, do you know? It's thousands. Yeah. So um, I saw an estimate. Someone um, sent me a, a tweet today saying that they they paid fourteen hundred pounds all in, which is, you know, that, for a lot of people that's more than a month's salary <laughs> after tax. That's a that's ridiculous. Yeah. yeah. So also the thing I object to is that UEFA phrased this as if the final is a one-off event, as if throughout the course of the season there haven't been thousands of Arsenal and Chelsea fans that have been travelling all over the continent mm-hmm. to support their progress to this point. It's mm-hmm. as if they're, they're treating it like a charity shield. Do you know what I mean? It's like it's a kind of, it's a rootless final, um, which it absolutely isn't. And so what you're doing is you're saying, well, sorry, but, you know, um, whoever these, whoever the, the 50,000 uh, 50, other people who are in that stadium are, they're more important. So, and I, I, I don't think it's too old school to take issue with that. I think that's, uh, I think it's appalling. Well, I'm going to play devil's advocate okay. for a moment now, um, because I would imagine that one of the one of the things that UEFA would say about, or one of the positives that UEFA would point out about uh, the process being the way that it is, is that uh, a huge game of football is going to be brought to to Baku, a place that maybe hasn't housed a game of football between Arsenal and Chelsea or something of something of that um, of that caliber before, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, that the idea is about uh, spreading the love of football as far as you possibly can making sure that um, other nations and other regions are as involved and, and essentially bringing more fans to the game. And maybe the cost of uh, £1,400 for a ticket for someone who lives in London and gets to watch Arsenal play at the level that they play every weekend or every other weekend, it, that's, that's the price you have to pay for doing that. It's difficult. Like- is, it, is it fair that, that a tournament can't be in Baku because of these reasons, no. Like, because, should, I, should, should the should the the capital city have to spend millions of pounds facilitating it so that it, they can be allowed to to hold it, or can we have one year where, yeah, it goes to Baku, and actually the majority of the people, probably not the majority, given that the number of sponsorship and corporate rated tickets will do it, but at least some of the locals will be able to go and watch this game. And otherwise, if there were higher ticket allocations for Chelsea and Arsenal, wouldn't have been able to have the experience of ever doing that. Arsenal and Chelsea fans will have that at numerous other occasions. Well, I, I think it's a multifaceted question. I mean, I, I think... Um, it was. I went on for a long time. No, but that's Sorry. okay because it is a complex issue. Like, uh, first of all, no, there, there's, there's, there's nothing... Um, I don't think anyone's saying it shouldn't be in Baku. I think people are saying, do this and the growth of the game is good and the centralised power of European football as opposed to, to what it was 30, 40 years ago is a bad thing. However, with the with a determination to grow the game comes a responsibility. So hold it in Baku, but make sure that that remains a achievable destination, a responsible destination. What does that mean? That, 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 that means, it expand, means expand your airports by 50%, 100%. Potentially, but then th- th- this is always gone with, with hosting events. Azerbaijan is not a poor country. So if you want to hold the Olympics, you build a lot of stadia. Uh-huh. If you want to hold the World Cup, ditto, training grounds, hotels, transport facilities and, then, that is part and parcel of it we've seen though with with countries like south africa and like brazil mm-hmm. 
the cost of doing that and obviously you know for, for governments if you can secure the bid for a world cup for example it's a huge boon the cost of doing that and then the you know air quotes legacy of that afterwards yeah. Take, has a massive hit on the, uh, on, or can have a massive, a massive economic hit on the nations who were hosts. So, is it a, is it a f- sensible or fair thing to do then to essentially force Baku as a, a city into uh, into building enough infrastructure to be able to host an event like this, and then potentially leaving it with economic problems afterwards, or just letting them have one? I think. I mean, I, I think there's a way of doing it, and it, this goes well beyond my expertise, of course. But I think if you're, if as part of hosting this kind of competition whether it be a, a one-off final or a, an Olympics, you know, if there is an aspect of it which can benefit the populace once the event has gone and once the foreign money has left the country, mm. then you can make a far easier case for it. If it is just, well, we want a football tournament, then I want to know, and I'm yet to, in, in all the reading I've done, I'm yet to know beyond getting to watch a um, high-tier football match, I'm yet to really understand what the benefit is to Baku. Well, the, I mean, presumably it puts it on the international stage in a way that it may not have previously of been. Of course, but what does that really mean, though? Like, I mean, I... I... It'll be the same reason why there are high numbers of corporate uh, ticket, t- t- tickets at the event itself. Yeah, absolutely. That's so, what it's about. It's but that's about the, the thing. Economy. I think this is what we're arguing towards. It's kind of, why? You know, what well, is why the... Why does Russia want to host the World Cup? Well, I mean, I suppose there's a, there's a very clear PR purpose behind that. Um you can make the argument with long-term tournaments that there is an influx of revenue. I'm not sure I wholly agree with that because of the, the, way, um, the way visiting supporters and, and travelling fans are herded through not necessarily Russia, but FIFA world at those kind of competitions. Mm-hmm. So I think it's a, if, if that argument's going to be made, I think it has to be made in more detail and in a more compelling way than it has been in this instance because at the moment it's a... The way it's been presented is, well, it's Baku's turn to host it. And that's absolutely fine. It should be shared around. But if Baku has not made the steps necessary to accommodate an event of that scale, should it be in a penitent city? It's a, it's a difficult one. And it's one of those things when you, when you make this argument, it always sounds a little bit like you're saying, no, every final should be at Wembley because that's convenient for me personally. I don't agree with that at all. Like, I think it's a... Um, I think one of the big problems with hosting events like this, but also we talked about this before we came on air, also the, the sort of the culture of big European teams going on tour in different places. I think there's a real danger sometimes of trampling on domestic infrastructure. So um, little Jimmy, who is six years old and really, really likes football, you know, and lives in Australia, if he's taken to see Liverpool when they're playing, um, you know, uh, an A-League All-Stars team, is he going to gravitate towards the Premier League or is he going to gravitate towards what is at that point an inferior domestic competition? I think not enough care is really taken with that person because I think the way to, to grow football globally and in a sustainable way is to promote domestic leagues, not to kind mm. of import teams and allow them to harvest you know, a, a, another set of, uh, of overseas yeah. fans. And here, very herein lies the conflict, right? I mean, for, of course, this is of what course. you're saying. And, and if we put this into, uh, take a slightly different perspective on this, when UEFA say grow football or mm-hmm. grow the sport, what they mean <clears throat> is grow the brand identity of the big clubs, which currently they yeah. control on the European stage. Yeah. And if Manchester United and Liverpool, Chelsea, Arsenal, Man City are bigger teams, 
and Tottenham. Sorry, I should have missed. Shouldn't have missed European Cup finalists. European Cup finalists. Um, our bigger teams, yeah. and then whenever they play uh, internationally um, with other European countries, other European clubs, UEFA controls that. Mm-hmm. That in turn makes UEFA more powerful. That's what UEFA mean, right? When they say that, at a guess, yes, because the, the, the whole thing seems like a, an act of appeasement. Really, I mean, we um, this is off topic, of course, but we understand the tensions that exist between UEFA and the big clubs under their control or under their control is in air commas, obviously, at the moment. Um, we also understand what, the, um, what some of the ambitions are for the future of European club football. So it's, I, I, I just don't, I can't believe the game-growing excuse, or not excuse, but rationale, this sort of like good of the game um, mantra, which is trotted out whenever a kind of something like this happens, because we've seen it before. Um, you know, and, and, and it's kind of, at the root of it, Joe, you, you know what? I, I'm sick of the fan being a commodity. I'm sick of the fan being something that can be herded around Europe or the world, charged exorbitant fees for things which shouldn't be out of reach for most people. Um, and they're just, they're there to be, you know, the metaphor is every time, of, every time one of these competitions happen, whether it's a club competition, a world competition, international tournament, European final, the, 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 the image is of fans being held by their ankles and shaken it until all of the cash is out of their pockets. And that is like these, these finals. So when the, the Europa League final happens and its sponsors are being given the airtime and the access to new populations, they're riding on, on, on the back of fans who have allowed this team to be in this position. And there is something fundamentally wrong about that. It's a... It's such an abusive relationship. And it, it I mean, I, I was talking to some people on Twitter this morning, um, recording this on, on Tuesday, which is about eight days before the final. And, you know, they, 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 were, they were sort of, um, they were speculating, this feels like a tipping point. It's gone much too far, like to be, and we're going to get to this with the, with the Champions League final as well. It's just like, stop abusing the fans. Stop trying to monetize their loyalty. I mean, some of that is inevitable, but the levels to which it's being monetized, just, it's grotesque. Is that not what football is though? Increasingly so, but then this is an argument that I would spread across all of those areas of football. You know, stop abusing the fan, you know, and, and, and especially do so if you're an organisation like UEFA. You are supposed to sit atop of these fans and you set an example. Like, if you're not willing to do it, how are the member clubs, how can, how can you expect the member clubs to sort of, to do anything other than, than, than price in a, you know, pejorative is the wrong way, but exploitative way. Mm. Well, I suppose that, you know, the, um, the thing that UEFA and uh, the big clubs have in common is that the fan is a commodity. Beyond that, there's a lot of conflict. And I, this is, again, slightly off topic, topic but I, uh, I still find it difficult to understand how after all of the controversy that, that blew up around FIFA a few years back and all of the football league stuff that that took um, took UEFA down essentially and exposed those FIFA uh, uh, UEFA as well, right? Latini, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but also Infantino and those uh, those alleged um, alleged email alleged. Uh, uh, correspondence between Infantino and and Manchester City or yeah. people at Manchester City, the, the other big revelations, too. yeah, yeah. Um, and <laughs> the constant you know looming uh, looming threat of a of a European Super League, I think, is is uh, the crux of the, of the conflict. You know, what UEFA want least is, is for there to be a breakaway like there was in, in England in, in the early 90s. And 
I don't know. I think uh, the one thing that they do have in common, as you say, is that uh, is that the fan is a commodity. The more I look at football objectively today, the less and the further I am away from uh, the terraces to be poetic about it, the less I understand why people watch it. Because it, it, it seems it seems like a big, you know, at the, at the very top, there's a big uh, club of people who are making an awful lot of money and laughing their asses off at the uh, ignorance of people going. And I know fans aren't ignorant. And I had a conversation with James Montague, a journalist, um, not long ago on this podcast where I asked him, you know, genuinely, what are you supposed to do if you're a Manchester City fan? What are you supposed to do? You're effectively put in an not impossible, but very unfair and difficult position. I agree. And obviously the, the, the answer is not to engage in whataboutery and the rest of it and not to, uh, you know, to I don't know. feign expertise in areas which you don't sh- sure. really understand and shouldn't be really trying to uh, But I have a sympathy away. for those people Absolutely. because what are they supposed to do? Yeah, but the, and, and this is, this is, that's the truth that goes right to heart of the matter in that like football, football is not a pastime. It, for many people, it's a habit of a lifetime. Mm. It is something that, what, you're supposed just to, to give it up because, um, you know, someone has bought your club, someone that you were there before and probably be there afterwards and you find their activity away from the game morally questionable, that's a very difficult thing to ask of anybody. So yeah, I, I absolutely have sympathy. But then this is, this is football. You're, you're, you know, in one sense, you're expected to um, not ask questions beyond the pitch. And, you know, we've seen the tone of Manchester City's response to, you know, to the, the um, allegations which have been made against them in the last few days. On the other hand, though, you know, you're, you're still supposed to, without asking questions and without wondering why, hand over, in some people's cases, one or two months worth of wages for a single ticket. Mm-hmm. A single ticket. 90 minutes of football. Like I, interestingly, like I've been, um, I've been in the press box for quite a few, one, uh, three, four years now. And, um, and when it comes to actually having to buy my own ticket, I can't do it. Mm. Just because you see what you're paying for. Like before, like, you know, it, it was, it was special. Now, because it's my job and I get paid to do it, and I'm very, very fortunate. But now the idea of someone saying, right, well, that's 60 quid, you'd be like, fuck off. Chance. I'm not paying that. And it's, I mean, most people don't have that choice. Either, like, they pay that money or they don't go. And it's just, it's grossly unfair. Um, and this, these European finals, I'm a Tottenham fan. Uh, I'm not going to Madrid, but so be it. For some people, quite a lot of Tottenham fans can realistically expect this to be the only time in their lifetime they will get to see this. Tottenham in a, in a Champions League final must be joking. It's, a, it's ridiculous. So as a result, that person is then incredibly vulnerable to any airline carrier, to any hotel owner, to any bed and breakfast owner. There are stories which, actually... Which we're going to come on and which, talk okay, about. Okay, let me back off that then. Okay. What I want to do first, uh, I don't want to leave back the way we've left it. I feel bad about it. I want to talk about the Flame Towers. I'm on the Irish Examiner right now, theirishexaminer.com. I want to tell you about five things. (laughs) I want the Irish Examiner to tell you about five things you should do if you are going to Baku, or indeed if you want to go to Baku. If I've I've remortgaged my house and bought a ticket. Or if you remortgage your house and go to Baku, not even to see the football, just to go, because it does look like a lovely city, the Flame Towers. Hmm? It says here that Azerbaijanis revere fire. There's more to that sentence, but I won't read it. Uh, National Carpet Museum is actually shaped like a rolled up Persian rug. That's pretty cool. That is actually very cool. I would, it's the sort of thing I would go to. The world's biggest KFC. 
That I wouldn't go to. Old Town Markets, which there's nothing funny about them. They look lovely. Um, and the Giant Flag, which is uh, 70 by 35 metres. And uh, you can find more information about those places on the Irish Examiner. Maybe that's a link we might put in the uh, Yeah, I think we'll, I, I've used the Irish Examiner quite a lot there. But I've said it six or seven times, the Irish Examiner. It does sound like we're now sponsored by them in some way. It does, but we aren't. We just value the good, good work and journalism, journalism that the Irish Examiner um, <laughs> publishes, I would imagine, on a daily basis. <laughs> and if you are going to Baku, do check out the Irish Examiner. Um, let's talk about the other uh, Euro. <laughs> let's talk about the other European League final, uh, the biggie, the big one, Doctor Big. It's uh, <laughs> feel like that bit could have gone better. <laughs> Doctor Big. <laughs> I feel like Alex is like Sorry. a restraining force on you sometimes. Yeah, he's, he is. You know, he's not here to shackle no, no, me in. So it's, it's gone um, off the rails. Sorry, everyone. Sorry about that. But uh, it's the big one. It is, uh, I feel silly saying it, Dr. Tottenham, Big. as you said. Yeah. Not Dr. Big. That makes more sense than Tottenham in a Champions League final. And uh, Liverpool, which makes more sense second year in a row, of course. Um, we are going to talk about the football later, as I said earlier. But tell me now, because the other controversy here is the cost of the tickets. This isn't a new thing either. This happens every year. And, uh, you know, it happens with other big, other big world events too. The airlines, I would imagine, are trying to scrape back some of the millions and losses they're making at selling me a ticket to Vigo for £15, which wow. doesn't make any sense. It doesn't Whoa, make any sense. Pre-airport tax? Uh, I don't know what that means. Well, so there's a cost of a ticket, and then when you go to the checkout to buy your ticket, yeah. sometimes there's a, an airport tax added onto it. Which I don't makes think it... there was, no. Okay. I mean, it was Ryanair, so and you literally I then paid, paid £46 pounds to take a bag. So that is a, that's a stealth tax. That's a, there you go. The, so it's not really, a, yeah, okay, sure. right. Well, hey, but it was, you know, the ticket was it £15. It feels pounds. nice saying it was £15. Pounds. It was £15. Pounds. Yeah, you got, you got a bargain. Sure. We'll just say that. Uh, but uh, I was reading uh, on, upon your instruction earlier, and I was reading about this uh, on uh, BBC News Round, mm -hmm. which is, apparently, you know, still going. Champions League final, how much will it cost to get there? Liverpool and Tottenham fans may be rivals when it comes to the chat. This is just copy. 840% is uh, the, the, uh, the increase in of, air, air. Yeah, of flights to the Spanish city air and tickets. surrounding towns. So if you're trying to be cheeky and fly into somewhere nearby, yeah. they're going to get you there too. 840% yeah. uh, is an awful lot of money. Hotel rooms are more than £1,000 a night with stories of room bookings being cancelled and resold at vastly inflated rates, which I imagine is illegal. Right, so I've got an interesting story for you. Like I, um, I was speaking to a journalist um, a couple of years ago. We were... Um, I forget where, but we were talking about um, the 2018 World Cup and it was probably 2017 or something. And we were talking about cost and he told me what he does for international tournaments is he books a year in advance. Um, he has educated guesses on booking.com about where he's going to need accommodation. Uh. And then what seems to happen is once the hotel have kind of caught on to what he's trying to do, his booking gets cancelled. The room gets sort of um, put back up for, for hire at like four times the cost. So everyone wins. Except the person that needs the room, of course. Okay, so the other thing we wanted to talk about in reference to um, the Champions League final is the Tottenham Hotspur Supporters Trust um, and Spirit of Shankly, the, the fan group for Liverpool as well, um, who have uh, made some statements about the, the cost of travel. Will you fill us in about that? Yeah, so Tottenham first. So when the, when the cost of travel came out... Um, 
Martin and Kat, who who um lead the uh, who lead THST, uh, wrote to the club and talked to them about potentially subsidising travel for the fans. Um, the the club came back to them and said no because the justification was that if they do that, then they are essentially subsidising UEFA. So there's no incentive for UEFA then to um to rethink their pricing in later years. Which does that argument make sense to you? Uh, it makes superficial sense because if you set the precedent of saying that charge what you like and the clubs will pick up the bill, then there is no actual pressure on UEFA, the organisation. But presumably the pressure would either come from the fans or from Tottenham as a club, as an organisation, who have agree. the fans behind yeah, them. Yeah, I absolutely agree. I mean, I understand the reasoning. If Tottenham uh, told their fans not to do something, not to, partic- not to participate in a UEFA competition or a ticketing process or something, more fans would do that than would galvanise themselves to boycott a loan. I suspect you're right. Um, Particularly if the club they support is still participating. Uh, yeah, well, that's my read on it too. I mean, um, do I understand the reasoning? Yes. Uh, do I agree with it? No, not really. I think it's just um, something they don't want to do. But I have to say, I, I, I'm really proud of the uh, sports organisation, um, both organisations. So Spirit of Shankly, um, when, um, when Liverpool and Tottenham qualified for the final, they were each told that they were, they were each getting um, an allocation of just over 16,500 tickets, 16,600 and something, basically, each. Um, and the final's being held in the Wanda Metropolitano, um, which holds, I think, about 68,000, something around that. Uh, brand new stadium, Atletico Madrid's ground, of course. Um, now, Spirit of Shankly took the step of writing to the sponsors of the Champions League, who obviously, so that, you know, the Tottenham and, and Liverpool fans will comprise just under half of the stadium. Obviously, that's an awful lot of tickets being taken up by sponsors. So they wrote to each sponsor, uh, which includes... Um, Mastercard, PlayStation, Gazprom, um, probably a couple of other minor sponsors in there too, um, and said, "Can you release more tickets?" Um, which is a really admirable step. I think you know they don't have to do that. Um, thinking of you know other fans and the community at large, um, the only sponsor to actually get back to them at the time that we're recording this is Tuesday, um, just over ten days before the final. The only the only sponsor to come back to them was Mastercard. He kind of he gave a pretty inadequate response about yeah, but you know we've got competition winners and people that have got tickets as a result of Mastercard promotions and stuff. So no, and nobody else. Basically, Gazprom and uh, PlayStation just ignore them completely. Sure, and the associate director's nephew and his friends and yeah, uh, right. yeah, exactly. <laughs> all that, the rest exactly of them, right. it, it, precisely. So, um, it was actually it's been very heartening. It's been it's a very unpleasant situation, but huge credit to um to Arsenal. Uh, to the AST because they've they've issued their own statements, but these Liverpool and Tottenham groups have really shown their purpose. Um, I don't know anyone at Spirit at Shankly, but I I do know Martin and Cat um, at Spurs, and uh, you know credit to them. They um you know they went trying to, to keep to trying fans. to keep organisations in line, which is the purpose of that's the, group the job like of it. That, right? that you are you are supposed to you are supposed to fight for the fans, and they've shown that they're doing that. So you know from um, a cynical point of view as well, yeah. I would imagine that. Um, it's, uh, again, you know, make the point that we're recording this over a week before the final. Yeah. Um, as you mentioned, the only sponsor to respond at the moment has been MasterCard. It seems like a, a missed opportunity for uh, an enormous um, organisation uh, who won't miss the money to, uh, to say, uh, yeah, sure, here's, here's some tickets, uh, you know, at the, the benefit of the fans to you from us uh, and have a massive like, positive you, you news know, story. You know what they the should have done? You know what the smartest play would have been? It's like, 
you know, internally thought, yeah, you know what, that's a really good idea. Let's um, put 300 tickets. What we'll do is we'll, we'll hire a digital agency. We'll record the act of going to surprise people that can't get tickets. We'll actually fly them to the game. And then we will, we, will, we will roll it out as a series of adverts broadcast on TV. You can't buy that. And then we'll give them a MasterCard card with a massive APR on it. <laughs> yeah, that, that's, the, that's the harder sell. Sorry, but, that's, that's, the, you know, that's you, the bit they don't You do. know, there, there's a sensible idea there. PlayStation 2, man. Like, you got, I don't know, a couple of guys who, um, you know, you'd need... You know to, there's a PlayStation 4 now, Seb. Uh, sorry, PlayStation 4, yeah. <laughs> I think you were saying PlayStation 2 as in as well. For PlayStation 2, that's what I mean. Yeah, okay, so... For PlayStation for, as well. For PlayStation as well, right. So, you know, you, you've got guys that, and, 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 you know, women and children and, and, you know, old people that sort of, people that typically cannot afford the cost or can't get tickets. You say, yeah, this is exactly what we'll do. We will, um, you know, we, we will... Uh, well, you know the old sort of Noel Edmonds house party thing where you used to burst sure. into people's homes yeah. and surprise them. Do that. Yeah. Don't do don't that. Do, do the... that. You would you just, you, uh, sometimes I, I just, I cannot believe how short-sighted these organisations are. Like you, you want to go into their, into their sort of their marketing department and say, right, what are you doing? What are you doing? How mm. do we, how do we come out on the right side of this? And that's the answer. It, it's just, it's not even, it's not even imaginative. It's been mm. done so many times before, but that's how you handle it. And you just, you make not only do you do you put yourself ahead of every other sponsor, but you just you, you just you you give a small benevolent gesture which costs you nothing, and you still come out on the other side of it probably making quite a lot of money. Seems like a misstep, doesn't it, or a misstep? Incredible, incredible, and also, I I think the thing I find dispiriting is not like Mask God gave a fairly incidental response to Spirit Shankly, but just to not to respond to them. You have any idea how many Liverpool fans are in contact with that organisation, how influential they are, and what they, the things that they stand for? Like, you're crazy. You don't even, I mean, you forget, forget what we've just talked about. Just give a, 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 a cursory reply. Just, just, just. Do you want to name them again? Human. Other than MasterCard, who were the other sponsors? PlayStation who, as and of Gazprom. Recording, PlayStation and Gazprom, who have not responded at all at the current time of recording. No, if they turn out and they record and they do respond between now and then, okay. Yeah. Um, if not, if shame not, on you. Deserve it. Like, yeah. Incidentally, know, just... we have a, a huge video about Gazprom, which I would encourage everyone to go and watch because there's plenty of other things to be distressed about regarding that company. Sure, there are. Mm. Mm. Okay. I, 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 it, it depresses me a little bit. I, I think that um, you know the the it's just such a it would be such a human thing to do. You know, maybe maybe you don't even get your tickets, but maybe you make some gesture. Maybe you fund something in in the centre of Liverpool. Maybe you you I I, I don't know. You know, maybe you know Tottenham are going to um, going to show the game, uh, broadcast game inside their new ground. Maybe you do something there. Maybe you, I don't know what, but you you just it's so logical. Yeah, it's very strange. It's 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 a win win. It would seem to be, huh. but uh, apparently not. Okay, uh, well let's move on from that because it's all rather depressing, isn't it? And let's move to another depressing topic, uh, which is the discussion of what's happening currently with Henrik uh, Mkhitaryan who you have informed me is not travelling with Arsenal. No, so... Just uh, give us a, a, a flavour as to why. Tell us a, a little bit about the story here, because it's, it's well, it's not that complicated. Not really. Uh, so obviously, um, Henrik Mkhitaryan is, uh, is an Armenian. Um, Baku is in Azerbaijan, and there is a long, fractious history between Armenia and Azerbaijan. On top of the conflicts... Um, and sort of the, the Russian involvement in some of those conflicts. Um, well, both part of the ex-Soviet Union. Exactly. Um, 
but there hasn't actually been, um, I read this morning, there hasn't actually been a proper um, orthodox uh, diplomatic relationship between the two countries since I think, I think I'm right in saying 1921, 1922, so this is a very long-standing issue. Um, So when when Arsenal qualify for the final, um, the Azerbaijani FA, or the equivalent, um, issued assurances about Eric McTarran's safety. Um, given the lack of diplomatic communication between the two countries, for whatever reason, that was not sufficient. Most likely it wouldn't have been sufficient for Arsenal's insurers um, or maybe even McTarran's own, his family. I dare say he'd have had that conversation with relatives and friends and what have you. Um, and this morning uh, it's announced on Arsenal's website that he will not travel with the... Uh, with the with the with the uh, the the squad for the final, um, we've, also- had, we've had this issue before. Uh, Arsenal have played uh, Carabag. Was it Man United who played Carabag? I can't remember. It's in the Arsenal. last, Arsenal. yeah, I think it was Arsenal. And he didn't <clears throat> he didn't take part in that. And incidentally, there's there's a there's another video which I think the original script appeared on the the TIFA website. It was written by uh, Robert O'Connor, Definitely. and it's uh, about Carabag. Um, very FC. fine piece, very fine video. It's uh, it's very interesting about kind of um, the nature of Carabag's rivalry and and their and their sort of their history and. Well, the reason I bring it up is, is because I suppose in uh, in an incidence when Arsenal are playing the club Karabakh, for example, it might be slightly more understandable that Mkhitaryan w- wouldn't want to travel. If you if you want to go and watch the video, it'll give you a, a much uh, deeper and, and probably much better explanation than I'm about to. Uh, but Karabakh uh, being in Baku, it's not its original home. Its original home no. is in uh, an area which is a region which is now has been the region of conflict between Armenia and Azerbaijan for, as Seb was saying, for decades. So the the original home of the club that you are going to play, I can understand if that is a contentious thing. The idea of not being able to go and play in the country seems to take it a, a step further for me. I agree. I agree. I think it's... Um, I don't know what the remedy is here because I, I am not a an, an expert in international relations. Well, presumably um, UEFA can issue a statement saying that it wasn't predictable that uh, this <laughs> this would happen. <laughs> I mean, that's the thing. I mean, I think, I think what I what I'd like to happen here is that some people on Twitter have been talking about a boycott. It's not going to happen because you know wherever the Europa League is, if final is played, there is a Champions League place at the end of it, and clubs are just not going to walk away from that opportunity. And I understand why. Um, what I'd like now to happen is, and hopefully by the time this releases, it has. I think I'd like Chelsea and Arsenal to talk to each other about this present some kind of unified front to UEFA because um, even if it has no effect on this final, it's going to happen, it's going to happen in Baku. But if you think about the people contained within those respective boardrooms and organisations, that is a very powerful group. Well, that's that's the beginning of a European Super League right there. Well, I don't mean in that sense. You, no, you, I just mean right. that, that is how it would begin. That, that's kind of, that's one of those sort of, um, those spring moments which creates issues elsewhere. Mm. But I think in terms of, Forget, you know, maybe the relationships Arsenal and Chelsea have you with UEFA. Think about the, the relationships they have with the sponsors, you know, particularly Gazprom, someone mm-hmm. like Marina Graniskaya, you know, and Chelsea's owner, of course, um, absent at the moment, but still a highly influential man, particularly in that particular industry. Uh, that particular, particular industry? That wasn't, that wasn't my best moment, that. That wasn't my most articulate. I think that's seconds. fine. Anyway. He's anyway, talking about the, the point oil and the, gas. The point remains is that sort of, this is a point to um, say this can never happen again. Mm-hmm. This is the one of the highlights of a player's career. McTurin has played in the Europa League final before for Manchester United, of course, but to deny a player um, that kind of opportunity, that moment in his career, 
because of a situation which has nothing to do with football is yeah. ridiculous. And nothing to do with him. Of course, nothing to do with him. No, absolutely not. It's like it's sort of, you know, it, it, it's a scandal. It is an a sport. Forget football. Sport is supposed to be the relief from stuff like this. It is supposed to be a healing uh, force. It's supposed to be something which transcends stuff like wars and conflicts. And that goes, yeah, I guess, all the way back to the First World War and those kind of, those, those um, you know, the, the stories about, you know, wartime football and Christmas Day and, you know, getting out the trench and that, that kind of stuff. And this is sort of like, it just, I can't get my head around it. It's such a ridiculous issue that I almost have no response to it. Well, look, there's a big conversation to have that perhaps we can have on another podcast um, about the idea of boycotts. Obviously, Qatar yeah. is coming up. Um, it was a it was a topic of conversation in my household because uh, the, the Eurovision was uh, in Tel Aviv the other day, and so yep. there were some people who were talking about the idea of a boycott as a result of the Israel's occupation of Palestine. And I think there's a there's a genuine debate to be had as to the pros and cons of that. Um, I think I come down slightly nowadays. I think I come down more on the side of go ahead with it and uh, try and make the best of it, as opposed to the idea of a boycott. What you know, but maybe we can have a whole conversation about that in so a yeah, future podcast. Yeah, this is the thing. I mean, I, I I think I'm I'm in I'm in I'm in the dialogue camp. I think it's a kind of use your influence from the inside of the competition to ensure that there that you create this negative precedent whereby it make, it doesn't happen again. Let football crush Kafala, even if that isn't well, actually I mean, happening. Yeah, I was, yeah okay, but, not yeah, really happening. Yeah, but but, uh, but steps towards right there. You go, yeah. and and so a boycott. The, the the trouble with the boycott here is that um. Firstly, um, UEFA have already shown in this sort of news cycle their ability to spin things with their response to Arsenal's letter, which is something straight out of the thick of it, basically. Well, it's, it's hardly Malcolm Tucker, but it's... It's not know. nearly as bright as Malcolm Tucker, no. but it's a, it's a very obvious uh, attempt to take a certain position, which in this instance doesn't belong to them, yeah. which they are, do not have ownership of. And the same thing would happen again. Um, it, I don't know how that would play out, how a boycott would work, really, and what would happen as a result of that. I don't know. Um, but I, I think I would like to see, at the very least, Arsenal and Chelsea um, joining together and uh, using their considerable resources and influence to, to attack this as a okay. problem. Okay, right. So let's talk for five minutes or so now about uh, the football itself. Oh, Imagine well. that. A yeah. football podcast talking about football. It doesn't bear thinking Feels of. Feels very quaint. Well, I, I've nothing to say either, so <laughs> I'm relying on you. Um, obviously, Tottenham are going to win 7-0. Is that correct, Seb? How are you feeling about that? I'm still in the, in the, the phase of... Oh, I should say, stop listening now if you're listening after the games. This will be irrelevant to you. Yeah, unless you want to laugh at what I say. I yes, guess. that's true. That's, there seems to be a culture of people that enjoy that. So well, maybe, maybe listen on. Mm. Um... I'm still in the, 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 the phase of, God, I can't believe we were there. I mean, I... Um, when do you think you'll transition to the phase of, I can't believe we have got here and then didn't win, if that I happens? I think when... When you don't win. Yeah, I think, I think it will kick in big time when I see Tottenham players walking past the European Cup when they come out of the game. That will, because the, um, the, the game against Ajax was such a, was such a high. It's like such a... I haven't felt anything like that for a really long time. And I never thought I would within a football context. Um, so I, I don't know. I haven't really got, got around to thinking about the mechanics of the, the actual 90 minutes of football or more yet. How, how, did, how did Tottenham fare against Liverpool domestically this season? Well, they lost both games. But interestingly, I mean, Liverpool should deservedly be considered heavy favourites for the game. They are the better side. Yeah. 
But Liverpool have issues with Spurs for some reason. They um, everyone has issues with Spurs. Well, they don't. I mean, I mean Liverpool particularly. It's interesting. So, um, is it like is it as bad as Man United and Everton about five years ago? Not not quite because Liverpool have tended to come out on the wrong side on the right side of things. But in the game this see the games this season, uh, Liverpool were, were excellent at Wembley. One two one, although feel pretty fortunate not to concede a, a penalty in stoppage time. Um, at Anfield, they were very jittery. There is something about that Tottenham team that they don't like playing. Um, I expect Liverpool to win, but I expect it to be pretty awkward. Um, in truth, I, I, I hope so. I mean, um, it's uh, cagey or lots of goals. It depends because at the time of time of recording, um, there are still a few question marks about Tottenham's side. Um, I fully expect Harry Kane to start um, because if he's anything close to being fit, he will. Um, he will be picked. There's no doubt about that. Is, that the, is that the right move though, given how well Spurs performed the competition without him? An unavoidable one. Harry Kane is um Kane, there are two sides to this. Kane, Kane the footballer, Kane the, the goal threat, of course. But Kane has an enormous psychological effect on, on his teammates. Yeah. So they react differently when he's there around them. Um so for that alone, he'll be on the pitch. I have no doubt about that. Um so no, I don't expect KJ. I think it'll be an attractive game of football. I think um uh, I, I, I'm very interesting. I honestly, I honestly don't know. Um, um, that's not great for a podcast, isn't it? Just to hold your hands up. But well, it's, 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 it's just, such it's a strange. Just it's such a strange concept. If you wrap this game into a into a into the in a Premier League bow, I can talk you through it. I can talk about sort of what's likely to happen in certain areas of the pitch. But a European Cup final between these two teams is a complete unknown. Do you think you will be very emotional? Yeah, I expect so. I yeah. expect so. It's also it's a very strange situation because if. Um, if Tottenham were to win the European Cup, what then? Because where do you go from there? Like, well, uh, back into uh, group stages next year. Well, yeah, but where do you go? From, where do you go from emotionally, aspirationally? Yeah, you've climbed to the. You know, I would argue that winning the European Cup um, supersedes winning the Premier League. If you had to choose between the two of them, I'd choose the European Cup. I think most people would. Yeah. yeah. So where do you go from? Would you hope from for that point? If your if your supporters' life is based on hoping for things which will never happen and then one of those things does actually happen mm. and then you also exist in a domestic league where which is dominated by a an oil state mm-hmm. it's hard well I suppose there's something in the idea of uh, enjoying the moment right absolutely <clears throat> absolutely and, and not, not, not sort of viewing football as this kind of never ending long term project if Tottenham win next weekend You'll remember. I might forever. be done with football by then. Well, I, might, I might just. Well, I might retire. I might change <laughs> jobs. I might never record another podcast. Well, and fingers crossed that Liverpool wins. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh, Chelsea Arsenal. Yeah, uh, that's harder. To, much harder to predict, isn't it? It is a little bit because. Um, and just to say, I don't want to leave Tottenham fans feeling upset. I feel I have permission to do that because of your presence here, Seb. Absolutely. And you acknowledge the fact that Liverpool are the heavy favourite with Arsenal and Chelsea. That that, that there is no real favourite. I would imagine. I don't think so. I expect Chelsea will be priced as a favourite because they are taking the best player of the two teams into the game. Eden Hazard is will be the best player on the pitch. But there is more in it for Arsenal, right? I think so. In terms think, of in terms of a, an achievement, uh, Chelsea are already in the Champions League. Arsenal yeah. Aren't. So this is this is the sort of the um, the issue here for Arsenal is that at the moment with them outside the Champions League, the summer transfer budget is projected to be around the kind of the forty forty five million pound mark, which in modern football is just you mm-hmm. know by a, a, a very good centre half for that anymore. Um, so it is really a it's a it's a less pressurised game for Chelsea. I think it's a 
if they win, terrific. If they don't, they'll shrug it off, I'd, I'd have thought, because they are safe inside the Champions League next season. Well, also, there seems to be no, at the, currently, there seems to be no kind of consistent structure or leadership there that wouldn't even need to shrug it off. It would be like it didn't matter that it didn't happen. Obviously, not to the fans. Fans would be, clearly, would, would, would want them to win. But the point I'm making is, as you alluded to already, an absent owner and uh, a very sort of shaky ground in terms of management. I'm you know, reading reports this morning that, uh, I don't know how, how realistic this is, but the, 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 there's some discussion of Frank Lampard replacing Maurizio Sarri, which may have already happened if that is going to by the time the podcast comes out. As well, again, I, I we're recording this a week in advance of release. Yeah, I can't imagine it happening before the final because, well, first of all, the Derby have be got funny, a playoff though, final to be playing on, on Monday night. Yeah, on Monday forget about night. that. The championship doesn't there's exist. It doesn't exist, <laughs> does it? But I, I, I think... Um, it's interesting because it's very it's very bizarre for Chelsea to be even in this position because they every time I've seen them this season they've been chaotic um, and have had to rely on Eden Hazard doing something to to gloss over the those many imperfections. He may very well leave in the summer. He almost certainly will. Yeah, mm-hmm. he will. We know he wants to. Mm-hmm. Um, whether Real Madrid can come up with a fee which satisfies Marina Granovskaya, we don't know. But um, it will probably be his last game. Um, Arsenal, Arsenal in a slightly different way are are just as flawed. I mean, they Hector Bellerin's uh, long term injury caused huge problems in in their defence and their ability to to thrust forward from the right side of the pitch. But also, I don't think there is a centre back combination that Unai Emery can field, which he would really trust. Um, mm-hmm. Ditto the, the 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 midfield combination. Granit Xhaka still not really what he needs to be at this level. Torreira not. He was, he was celebrated very early on in his Arsenal career as the kind of the answer to this long-term holding midfield problem. Hasn't really proved that way. Um, so two very flawed teams mm. uh, with some very good attacking players at the top of the pitch. And that's really about it. I think that, um, I think I, 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 if I had to, uh, if I had to put money on it, I think I'd, uh, I think I'd uh, go for Chelsea. I think that, I think they are the slightly stronger team, not in terms of structure, because I think they're being, I think Arsenal are being managed better. Just in, it's in terms of a group of players' ability to perform in a one-off game. I think I trust Chelsea more. Well, this episode goes out uh, the day before the final, I believe. So uh, anyone listening to it on release day won't have long to wait. No. to uh, to find out the answer to those questions. Um, we're going to wrap things up there, Seb. Thank you very much. Thank you, Joe, for attending. Really appreciate that. Um, and one more shout, of course, for the Irish Examiner. Uh, do visit the National Carpet Museum if you are in. Um, in uh, Baku and of course the world's biggest KFC again not sponsored by the Irish Examiner but uh, I wish we were I wish we were we've given us some airtime today haven't we well done to the writers of that um, thank you very much for listening uh, we will be back next week with something as yet undecided so uh, look out for that and uh, we'll be back with you at Arnold Organic we know that when we take care of the earth the earth also takes care of us you'd be surprised by our environmentally friendly way of baking breads Our ingredients are farmed per strict USDA organic standards that make the soil richer and promote biodiversity. Our bakeries are powered by renewable wind energy, and we donate 1% of our revenues to environmental causes as members of 1% for the planet, so that future generations can flourish too. Arnold Organic Bread. Great taste that's sustainably baked. See you soon.